0: Real fun DC.
1: Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hello and welcome to Industry Night with me Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends. Sometimes there's a focus on passion projects but it all comes back the industry. So last week, I took you on my travels down through Kiowa and eating my way through Charleston, which was delicious. Uh, Not Kiowa, but Charleston. Um, But I did pop up in Northern Jersey, Mendham of all places, uh, for a family wedding, which was fabulous. But I also got to go to one of my all-time favorite favorite restaurants it's called sammy's everybody write this down yield cider mill uh it was originally a speakeasy and it has been around since the 1920s it is a shack a literal shack of a house on a massive parking lot in an area mendham new jersey is a very very expensive area with Gazillion dollar homes Whitney Houston used to live there and when you walk in it's still a shack It's not like it's nice on the inside It's not nice on the inside either But you walk in and you go up to the hostess stand and there is a menu today But there wasn't a menu when I was growing up, but you don't need the menu So the hostess says how can I help you and you say I'll have a steak for two and I'll have a double lobster She writes it all down and then you go downstairs to the bar and the bar is a dark bar with music and televisions and video games and pool tables and bumper pool and you hang out and play until your name is called noah's party everybody cheers you go upstairs and then you sit at this white tablecloth table there is a massive platter of salad on the table huge chunks of iceberg lettuce large wedges of jersey tomatoes thick slices of red onion and it's all sitting in this red wine vinegar i'm gonna say dressing but it's not really a dressing because i don't think there's any olive oil in it i just think it's red wine vinegar the lettuce is tinged red with vinegar and it's all made from expired red wine from the restaurant so my mouth is salivating as i'm talking about it because it's so (laughs) yummy and then but then comes the piece de resistance and that's the steak for two so it is a tremendous platter covered with short shoestring french fries that are deep fried in steak grease that has probably been around since the 1920s so the fries, the fries are like soft and crispy and super brown and they're seeped with that steak flavor and a huge three inch thick uh, T-bone steak is put on top, and that is also covered with those french fries, and it is just a massive, massive meal. I mean, the double lobster is great. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a double lobster cooked to perfection, but that is dinner there, and it's um, it's an incredible experience. It is not duplicated Anywhere so it's not like any of you are going up to Mendham, New Jersey just to go to Sammy's But if you are in northern Jersey, it is totally worth it They do not take reservations get there early because the line is long Um, Quick pops in and around town believe it or not. I did more so I was at the point the other day um, Which is right next to the wharf. It's in Buzzards point. This is a whole area that is exploding Um, It really does have some of the most unique views in the city It was also a Fiola Mare for something entirely different. Also amazing views, um, terrific Italian wines, and it's a Fabio Trabocchi property. Everything is pretty delicious, but pricey, fair warning. Uh, And I also had to stop at Tony and Joe's because it was Tony's 85th birthday party. The mayor was there, a bunch of other notables that I'm not allowed to tell you about were there as well. But it was great to um, celebrate Tony and uh, the restaurant. Now, you can find out about all the events and restaurant openings on the list Are areyouonit.com. Quick shout out to some of the openings this week. Saku Saku Bakery is now at the National Building Museum. Nick Stefanelli's Kaimike for wine, cocktails, and mezza opened up next to Filatimo. The Italian wine bar by the I'm Eddie Cano, say it three times fast, people, uh, also finally opened. Again, the list are you on it.com for all that. And if you want to see what I'm up to, follow me at N Y C C I N E L L I S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You definitely want to be following me because my travels really start next week when I leave for Israel, and I am going to be eating my way through that country. So be prepared. Okay. Now, while we all may be behaving as if the pandemic is over, I mean, it really isn't, and the residual effects of the last two years will clearly be felt for some time to come. Um, Nobody knows this better than people in the hospitality community. Now, a few weeks back, Greg Ankert and Michael Babin of uh, Neighborhood Restaurant Group reopened their flagship church key uh, to all the very well-deserved fanfare. But it's been a minute since the three of us have caught up, and I'm so glad that we have that chance today because they're both joining me. Hey, Greg, hey, Michael. Hey. How are you? Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, no, it's good to uh, reconnect.
2: It is, yep.
1: Uh, So let's do a little background first. I mean, you guys have both been on all my shows. You're throughout the website. I mean, a lot of people know you. You are one of the few very large restaurant groups in the DC market, uh, though a lot of people would love to emulate you um let's talk a little bit about nrg its creation and its sort of process throughout the years
2: sure well NRG was created uh you know it really the group was created after we opened the first restaurant i thought the first restaurant was a one-off that was almost 25 years ago the evening star cafe
1: right uh, still
2: around yeah <laughs> getting ready to getting ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary there um a few years after that, I got into this full time, uh, and uh, we, you know, we we opened Vermillion, we opened uh, Tallulah, Roostico, uh, and really, you know, for a while, we were basically doing one project a year. Um,
1: but you were also Virginia focused.
2: We were very Virginia focused until.
1: Key was your first. That's property. That's
2: a good memory. That's right. That was a big one. Um, yeah, we we signed a lease right. Uh, before uh, the econ- you know, the Great Recession kicked off, which was an interesting experience, be opening, trying to raise money for a restaurant at that moment, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it was it was a wonderful experience and uh, one that Greg and I, I mean, we we were already working together when uh, when when we 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 sort of sat down. I think it was a few months into Greg's time with the company at Rustico, and Drew, uh, you know, I, I, in my memory, it was a napkin. We probably used a notebook. We basically drew the, we, we drew out the plan for Church Key and Birch and Barley um, and really for Blue Jacket too, within a few weeks, we we knew where we were going. It just, it was a matter of how we're going to get there. Um, so was
1: well, that, and Greg, let me pop you in on that because yeah. Rustico was the first of Michael and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Rustico was the first of your restaurants that had a real focus on beer, like That's this was like 2000 what? like six 2007
2: what are we so, talking it's early days yeah it was actually oh, we know each other that. For
1: that long unbelievable
0: um <laughs> well i can tell you I, it's burned into my memory it was, it was <laughs> august of 2006 is when i started we had just opened rustico a few months before i think like in the spring at some point yep. um and even though it was our first beer property uh a lot of people have forgotten this Tallulah was a massive wine property um, that it opened in what, Michael, 2004? Yeah. So, see, yeah
1: when yeah. I think of Tallulah, I think of cocktails. I remember that having a massive cocktail program because you know who was working there? Because I do.
2: Well, that's funny. Yeah. When we opened Church Key, I remember, you know, uh, Tom's review in the Post. He called the whole property because it, it was a bar and a dining room. Nate Anda was a chef.
1: Right. Yeah. church Churchkey, Tallulah. Tallulah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry,
2: Tallulah, Tallulah. Right. and Tallulah. But he called it a wine bar, the whole site, because we we had uh, seventy wines by the glass and half glass. You know that really was a big wine property. And then we got into with Rustico. We we tried to do something very similar for beer. So
1: yeah, right. And so then, how did that grow into Churchkey? Because Greg and you can speak to this. Well, you both can speak to this too. But it's all about the timing right because mm-hmm. it was also a major major shift nationally but locally especially on the craft beer scene so Absolutely. we saw a major change so did that play into the origination of church key or was it just both of your passion for beer
0: no it definitely it did but um i you know i think for, for me, my story kind of fits into this. So I was uh, supposed to be an English professor. That's how I ended up in DC. I mean, you do um,
1: like an English professor. Yeah, you still get <laughs> the look. Yeah. You just Especially so- as, the, the, the as next- I get
0: older, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I've, I look like a tenured English professor. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, when I figured out that that wasn't going to be my uh, my my future at a certain point, I ended up at this place called the Brix Keller, um, which was the first beer bar in America opened in right. 1957 um, classic place, no longer around, unfortunately. And I was introduced to all this beer and I, I just couldn't believe it. And I was able to kind of shift my academic interests towards beer and then wine, cocktails and food. And then met Michael um, in 2006 and, and joined uh, him at Rustico. But to your point, Nikki, beer was not cool back then. Um, it was not, Profitable. It was not something that you know there weren't nine thousand breweries in the America like there are today. It was right. it was something that was still niche. It was something that people um, were getting interested in, and so it was definitely a risk. And even I think when Ruskell opened before I got there, it was the first of its kind in Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. um, truly. And, and even back then, to find craft beer, and I don't mean like Guinness or Pilsner or Cal, but to find like true small batch craft beer on draft could only be done at like five or six places inside the Beltway in 2006.
1: And I don't want to get too wonky here, but I am sort of curious, and this, I I don't want to take this too far on a tangent, but were the laws caught up in Virginia or even in DC for local breweries distribution? Like, I, I know what's going on with distilleries now. So I'm just sort of curious, like, was it legally hard to get the kind of beers that you wanted because they didn't have the kind of distribution they needed, whether it was Virginia or D.C. or, you know, like I know what it's like yeah, in no. Maryland. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, it actually it wasn't. The, the the laws were OK. It was the the interest. And like the distributors didn't want to distribute craft beer because they didn't see the dollar signs behind it. They wanted to stick with macro. They wanted to stick with Miller and Bud and Coors and stuff like that. And so I remember Um, In DC, it was a little bit different, a little bit more cosmopolitan. People had more interest, and in DC then and now, we could direct import beer, so we could skip past the distributor, and that's something we could talk about with Churchkey. It's very interesting. But in Virginia, I remember, uh, you know, joining, getting into Rustico, and being like, "All right, I have a ton of beer I want to get that I've been serving in DC, and distributors wouldn't touch it. They just didn't think it was a viable business opportunity. So it took a long time." Nicky,
2: yeah. one little anecdote about that that period and what the links we had to go to to get what we wanted. You know, we uh, we we started a cask ale program, and uh, you know, we couldn't find brewers. There was no market for it. You know, so we we literally bought our own kegs. We would ship empty kegs across the country to the breweries that we wanted to to fill for us to fill cask ale, and then they would fill it, and we would ship them back to ourselves through a distributor. I mean it, it it's extraordinary links you know it was and, a different time yeah,
1: different, <laughs> time, yeah. different time okay well so okay so church key opens you open a you open a brewery you do blue jacket so all these things happen and then march 2020 we hit the pandemic now we've talked lots of times during the pandemic but if you could just give people just sort of how you handled it that brings you to today because i, I mean everybody dealt with it Differently, and I, I say this a lot, not just on this show, but in general, I mean, the industry, anybody who's in the restaurant industry knows it's a house of cards, it's just a matter of which card get pulls, whether or <laughs> not it's a, you know, up, so yeah. how were you able to keep your house of cards stacked?
2: <laughs> That's a good question, uh, and it presupposes that we did, uh, but yeah. you no, know, I think we mostly did we. You know, we were. I was actually homesick with COVID when everything happened, uh, and so I was making a lot of decisions uh, with the team. You know, in the few minutes, few hours of sort of lucid consciousness that I had, mm-hmm. and and the goal, of course, was the team: how to keep people whole. Uh, so we, you know, we quickly hatched a plan uh, to to try to keep as many people employed as we as we could, and I think we never really went below about 150 people. We kept 150 people. Uh, we we the, we ha- we did have to furlough a lot of people. Uh, we paid everybody, you know, one extra month because at that point there was not clarity about that they were going to increase the benefits and all of that stuff, you know. And uh, we within a few months, uh, a couple months, we had started a food box program that ended up benefiting about 200 of our furloughed employees for the next year. Um, most of those folks, unfortunately. Uh, left the industry, never, never came back. Um, but we started this business called Neighborhood Provisions. And that really was the key to keeping keeping thing, uh, people going, you know, keeping people employed. And it's an e-commerce business, still exists. Um, it's, it's different, it's changing. We're having to turn it from a pandemic uh, business uh, to, a, to a post-pandemic business. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And it, it is, it allowed us, in addition to keeping the people employed, it kept us in contact with guests, and I think it it helped us keep our sanity to some extent We, we threw ourselves into it, um, you know Greg certainly did uh, and and for those first uh, six months i don 't know if I can speak for anybody else, but i 've never had as much uh, alcohol in the house as I did during that, that time i was uh, I was working my way through it uh, because you work all day and in the evening it was you know cry or 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 uh, maybe have a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh it was a crazy time um and uh it's, it's nice to finally be you know I, to your point it's not over you know we're just dealing with a different shade of the craziness that it's created but at least it's better and we can yeah. start to see that you know things are starting to settle out and and there will be you know there's going to be a good future um right, right now it's still it's still a little crazy so and i'll
0: tell you another a, a really fascinating uh statistic from that time was like You know, we didn't have much open because we couldn't for those first three months to six months. And Blue Jacket uh, went from being uh, a huge property for on-premise business to, thankfully, we had uh, installed a canning line about a year before and have a great uh, brewing team there uh, led by Roe Gunzel, who was able to shift from production for on-premise to just canning everything we could. Uh, We didn't lose a drop of beer at Blue Jacket. Uh, We sold it all through cans. And we actually sold more cans in April of 2020 than we had in all of 2019 combined. Wow. That speaks to like the support that we had, too. Through provisions, we were really trying to bring NRG and everything that we do, building experiences home. And the support was, was uh, really remarkable. Uh, and it, it kept us alive. Without it, we wouldn't be here today.
1: Well, so then as you, as we moved through this two years of the pandemic, you had, you know, the launch of the new business, the change in the beer program. How did you decide which places would be open? Reopen? Yeah. How, how did, cause you have all these different properties. So yeah. how did you work through that and focus on them to give them what the attention they needed in order to be successful?
2: Yeah. Well, it was a constant triaging of, of properties, but I mean, you know, We have places that have great outdoor seating and we have places that have virtually no outdoor seating and so that was a major determinant you know there was a period of time and i think to some extent it's still true outdoor seating matters today in a way that it did not before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it probably will for the foreseeable future um Mm -hmm. but certainly in the in those first decisions if we didn't have the property didn't have outdoor seating it just didn't make any sense to open it you know uh, we could you, you know you could see uh, what was happening even at the places even once we were able to get business the indoors open uh on a rainy day as there was a lot of people in this market in particular i think of dc you know one of the things about dc is people on sundays pe- mornings people are watching the news they read the new york times and the washington post every day they are dialed into what is happening. The pandemic was still killing people it was dangerous and people were not willing to take risks the way that they were in a lot of other parts of the country.
1: Yeah, we're not. Um, Florida.
2: We're not Florida, you know, <laughs> we're not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in ways, good and bad. So anyway, but uh, so it was, um, you know, that played into it a lot. Um, you know, there was a, a ton of factors. Some of our places are smaller and they're just easier to get back in, up and running. Mm-hmm. and staffing has been hard you know mm-hmm. it has been obviously one of the I mean there, it's an earthquake that still hasn't stopped yet it's still shaking the industry right I mean a lot of people moved on to other businesses and other opportunities and uh we're waiting to see how many of them come back and we're and we're basically building a new cohort of of restaurant professionals you know from scratch. Uh, a whole lot of training um at all the properties but uh it's still it's still affecting us um so that was amazing well, it's affecting
1: i mean i, I was at an RAmW event restaurant association metropolitan mm-hmm. washington event uh yesterday and i mean you know everybody's like who do you know what do you know front of the house yeah. back of the house i mean people it's it's not just but it's not also because i do work nationally you know it's not specific to the DC area right. market. It's it's a national shortage. I and I will add to both of you, and I know you both well know this, pre-pandemic, we were pretty close as it was yeah. to having <laughs> a major staff shortage, both front and back of the house. I think at the time it was more back of the house than mm-hmm. it was front. Right, right before the pandemic. But you know, you can't open up a thousand restaurants. Right. To give the people to not just dine there, but also work there. Yeah.
2: Now, that's a really good point. I think people forget it. I mean, the the couple of years before the pandemic were were difficult years in most in a lot of markets in most markets. I mean, overall revenues at restaurants were were up, but diners were down. Tickets were down nationally yeah. and people were revenues were up by like half of a, less than a point because places were raising prices, you know. Yeah. So it was a difficult time. And to your point. Yeah. I mean, we we saw things uh, in the last Two years before the pandemic, we thought, "Man, we've never seen this before." When in the difficulty of getting staff, and now we look back and go, "Man, we were naive. (laughs) We had no idea." (laughs) Maybe
1: we shouldn't have put that out there. One of the things I always say about DC hospitality, and not that. this is specific to any restaurant but you know we don't have the pools that let's say a new york city does or an la or san francisco you know some of the bigger cities where people are either they know they have to be in the hospitality industry in order to pay their bills while they you know become artists or movie stars or whatever it is um we have people in politics mm-hmm. so if somebody needs to pick up some extra cash and they decide to go in the restaurant industry i always feel like they're they like Serve that beer with a hey. By the way, I went to Harvard. You know, like yeah. they, just, uh, you know, there's just a little chip on the shoulder that yeah. uh, is a little harder in the DC market. Yeah,
2: I agree with you 100. percent. I think it's always been a different. Every city is different with with regard to this, but but DC is a is a tough one. And we, you know, you learn along that you have a lot of staff who are you know future secretaries of state or diplomats or whatever. You know, they're here to do something else. And their stay in the restaurant business is a short one, you know, and uh, and they're wonderful. I mean, we get tremendous staff people, but we just it's it's sad to see them cycle, you know, in and then back out. Right.
0: Okay. So. And, and also, I mean, rents rents keep going up. Uh, you know, I think it's been uh, we know this. Our staffs can't live near the restaurants as much as they used to. Right. Uh, they have to move away. They have to live in the suburbs. They have to get a car. Uh, that's making them consider uh, new opportunities as well. But meanwhile, I mean, progress goes on and these big apartment buildings keep going up with full ground floors of retail. And even when, you know, in your intro talking about all the new openings, uh, in some ways, it's kind of unbelievable <laughs> that the restaurants are opening right now. And i say that as we are planning to reopen four to five restaurants right now so yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is uh it definitely its it's been a little bit of a crazy time for for some well, time So,
1: great to that point let's talk about so before we hit and dig deep into church key let's talk about what you have opening like what's open for you all right now and what what's on the horizon of opening and then we can talk about what that looks like
0: yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, not to go through every single restaurant and bar that we have, which are many, but um, we're, everything's open, including Churchkey. Key, um, but Birch and Barley is coming up uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vermilion is coming up soon. Columbia Firehouse, uh, for sure. And then, uh, and that's, that's all. Hey, Rob,
1: Columbia for. Firehouse is getting a refresh, right?
2: It is getting yeah. a big refresh and, and there will, we're going to have an announcement about a, a different, uh, really a different concept pretty soon oh, okay, um good. and uh and then same name
1: uh, same name you'll keep the name
2: Maybe. I don't think so <laughs> yeah. Be um, a new name. yeah probably a new name, and then um uh the partisan um you know is one that we're you know we it, it, partisan is our is the business that is most in the middle of the office uh, office district downtown, right. and that's they' got its own issues still to this day you know they're 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 still waiting for the big return to come um and, um, and I think we're going to have an announcement uh, soon about some changes at one of our properties, uh, Owens Ordinary as well. So, uh, so it'll be a, kind of a new thing as well there. Yeah.
0: And, and I, I'd be remiss uh, in not mentioning that we're also opening a brewery uh, in New Orleans oh. in the fall. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's something that we've been working on <laughs> for a long time, but it hasn't really been announced uh too much yeah well, that okay. is
1: incredibly exciting and i'd love to know more about it but let's stay in dc at the moment
2: because mm-hmm.
1: yeah. uh, you also have the food hall in new york right is that still
2: yeah we're still running the grand Delancey. i mean we're uh, it's a it's a great beer bar uh we actually I, I mean we we really never closed the food hall pretty much shut down uh thirty-five thousand square feet and i think we were Uh, we accounted for two of maybe four vendors out of 35 that never shot, never stopped operating
1: uh,
2: throughout the pandemic. Um, uh, So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge hats off to our team there. I mean, those there, we have some remarkable people working in New York, Um, but we had just opened that bar in October before the pandemic. It had gotten great reviews, you know, a, a really nice recognition as sort of beer bar of the year uh nationally you know in uh in a in imbibe in magazine and getting a lot of you know uh attention in new york in the in the beer crowd and then you know there we, there we are you know so so that's we're still we, yeah it's still happening and that's the good news uh it's 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 going well so
1: that's great okay so now bringing back church key i i i know you have blue jacket but i bet for a lot i mean listen people love church key it's it's still even to this day i think there's a lot of uh try to be duplicate you know people wanted Mm -hmm. to do something similar but still you are the original and there's not really a lot of people not just locally but nationally affecting a similar program i mean this is beer on a very grand scale so how did you go back to reopen this bar and all its beer like how did you go back to it to relaunch it
0: well, I mean, I would say that, you know, the thing is, I, I was really interested in what you were talking about earlier, like Churchkey Key and D.C., 14th Street in 2009, when right. we opened, was a very different place than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I always like to bring up is like, back in 2009, I think this is important for thinking about what people were drinking and eating and, and how they were considering what they ate and drank. Coffee wasn't like a big thing in D.C. back then. Like, yeah. you know, we have... Uh, Slipstream, which is a great coffee shop right next door, but that would not have been on 14th Street in 2009. Um, So in what we're talking about with beer in 2006, from six until nine, things started to shoot up. And that's when Michael and I were were building out and thinking about about Church Key. But it was it really was one of a kind back then. It was a big gamble, um, you know, to to, to do a dual um, level property like that. Um, And it, it was it was huge. Um, But it was, we were almost a victim of our success in some ways because it was so busy in the early years and then busy throughout that a lot of, you know, leading into what we wanted to do when we reopened were to take care of of some things that we just had couldn't get around to because we had been distracted by new openings, new places. Um, And that's not just like refreshing the space, but also beer wise. I mean, the beer world changed so much between 2009. In 2022 that we were able to get in there and make some changes with uh just the beer program that I think were really effective
1: well like what I mean what does that mean because what did you have you had like 500 beers am I like that's the number yes yeah
0: 500 500 bottles 50 drafts all temperature controlled we were the first place in the U.S. to even I think consider temperature controlling drafts and 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 frankly the way we did it back then was not as effective as the way we're doing it now. So we, we made some changes to make sure that the temps on the beers are even more perfect than they were back then. Okay. Um, but, uh, we, but yeah, and then, and then five cascales. So one of the big things that we did was we trimmed down some of the bottle and can list because uh, we found that it was hard to keep things as fresh as we wanted them to be. But also we shifted our focus to some retail because now we can do retail. Out of church key, and we never oh. could. be pandemic, they changed. Oh, that.
1: sure, I didn't even. That didn't even occur to me. So now people can Huge. come in. Cause wait, so yeah. let me ask a question. Now that you say that, I mean, I don't think this way. Because when I go into DC, if I order a bottle of wine, um I drink the bottle of wine. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> That's There's no good. wine left over. It's not coming up. <laughs> so there, so I was out with somebody, and they, they ordered a bottle of wine, and I had a glass, and they had a glass, and they were like, "Oh, can I take this home?" And I was like. Right. You can take yeah. opened wine home. So like with your Lord large... you could
0: do that before pandemic. During right. the pandemic, when, they when... helped us and said you can do uh off premise as well as on. It used to be very strict. You're either on right. premise or off. And they changed the rules during the pandemic, which was huge for us. Um and now, now means... I could
1: go into Church Key and buy beer. And wine. And yeah. wine. And, and gra- growlers? It's not to be open. Are you doing growlers and stuff like that? We
0: don't do growlers, but we could if we wanted to. Um, But yeah, what we find, the other big thing that's huge for us is when we're working with a very special, which we do this every day. We work with these teeny tiny breweries all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. And we say, hey, can you spare some beer for us? And they ship it direct to us so we can do an event or two. And sometimes we do events, not just at Church Key. We'll do it at Sovereign, our Belgian beer bar uh, down in Georgetown. Or Shelter, our low ABV beer bar in the Roos Food Hall in East Capitol. Um, but you got to fill out the pallets to make the, the, the shipping worthwhile. And shipping is way more expensive today than it was three years ago. So sometimes we just can't take all these kegs. So now we can say, Hey, can you send us some cans, cases of cans, and we can do events where people come in, they taste the beers on draft and can buy cans to go. Oh, and cool. that has been a remarkable change for us. Um, since we reopened, uh, one of the biggest ones. And the other thing that we did that was totally different. Mm-hmm. is we've, we've moved to a bit of a fo- more of a focus on lager beer lagers the crisp refreshing um, effervescent classic traditional styles of the world have become really in vogue we've always loved them. And there's these cool side pull faucets that we get from the Czech Republic that dispense lager in a way that adds more like texture to the beer and great foam. Um, so we were able to install those um, having not had those before the pandemic.
1: What? what do they do is it how they allow the air in is that is that how yeah
0: no no air it's actually it's very interesting they have like a little um uh like a it's kind of looks like a filter or a sieve inside that energizes the beer as it comes through and creates this like cappuccino like um foam like an aerator
1: right like well it's not an aerator but in that capacity that's very
0: similar and the way you pour it though it can't just be on a regular tap or else it would just be pure foam you can adjust it so you get just the right amount of that like uh, really luscious foam on the beer, and it gives a textural impact to lagers uh, that we hadn't had before, something we'd been talking about doing before the pandemic, and then we have the
1: time to, to focus do it. on so yeah. let's yeah. talk about i mean so you have these beer aficionados you know like you have your you have your people who go to church key for beer and and the food and whatever just because mm-hmm. they like the bar it's an amazing bar it's great looking it feels good but then you have your your beer followers like they want to know about that beer and they want to know that that guy's going to be there they want to know that they can buy it i remember lines out the door you know when they were waiting for some beer i was like oh my god what is happening here (laughs) so i mean are because you have access to beers and your relationships, both of you, with these people um, around the world, is that is that still part of Church Key? Is that still, are you still building on that component?
0: Yeah, 100%, Absolutely. more than ever, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I will say that you know, there's the big names that draws the lines. I mean, when we opened, we had a, a series of events in the first month that we had a line out the door for each of those, and great, and it's amazing. So yeah, we heavily lean on that, and like I said, now, we have the takeaway component, and what's great about that is people come, they eat and they drink on site, and then they take cans to go. Right. It's not an either/or type of situation, which is fantastic. Um, but you know a lot of the fun too, is just like we work with some uh, really idiosyncratic brewers that people have never heard of they're not lining up for. But when they come in and you know, I'm spending so much time there now. I can turn and my staff can turn people onto these beers that they would never have had a chance to, to drink. And we have a whole cadre of people that come in for those types of beers. They're, you know, they're not interested in lining up um, like you wouldn't be (laughs) and and waiting outside for beer, but they love to just come in and be like, what weird new thing do you have today from all from Estonia, which we have, you know, or, or from the Czech Republic or from uh, Bavaria, Franconia, like, and, and then we give it to them. That, those have always been our, our most stalwart uh, supporters, I think.
1: Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, there's no downside to it because the the revolution of beer is still going strong, right? Yeah. I mean, what's happening? Yeah. You said now you're more into lagers compared to whatever you were in before. And, you know, right. the sour beers and the cascales and all the different things that are are available and you have access to because of, the loophole of dc <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and how you could get stuff um yep. so what do you see next with not just church key but then birch and barley um do you i mean given the popularity of church key how does birch and barley evolve
2: go ahead i would say i mean birch and barley has always led a, a kind of a dual life. I mean, we, we want it to be the ultimate neighborhood restaurant for the Logan Circle area. We want it to be a place that if you live near it, you, you're you just glad, you know? It's just a great spot to come in for any occasion, you know, a Wednesday night when nothing's going on or a special night out on the weekend. And then the other part is we want it to offer the ultimate beer, craft beer and food experience for people who are looking for that. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, you know, I think we went through, there were years there where uh, Birch and Barley was the number one uh, rated place in D.C. on TripAdvisor. And we were getting these these tourists, like people would come in, you know, uh, a family would come in from Australia and uh, they would, uh, you know, they would eat at Birch and Barley three out of their five nights in town, you know, because they were such big beer fans and craft beer and food fans um so it really is sort of there there's two uh overlapping missions i guess for the restaurant and i think that's still true you know i mean to your point there aren't that many people doing the beer program that we're doing and there's a good reason for that it's that it's hard you know what greg and his team execute is really hard there's a lot of people who sign up to do it and we we watch we you know when people say oh we're gonna do this program a lot of times it sounds familiar (laughs) <laughs> but we watch, and you know, three, six, nine months in, they usually retreat from some key parts of it because it is just really hard. It, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to to execute on an ongoing basis you know
1: well but i think we should dive down deep for a second to explain why it's so hard because i think the right. layperson thinks right. how hard is it to you know research some beers or you know Greg right. yeah. anger you know use his massive rolodex of contacts and say yeah i want some beers but if you're serving beers and i only know this because my son sam worked at church key <laughs> and i <knew laughs> what he had to do yeah. had time to change the lines so i think Greg, talking about that just a little bit may expand on what Michael was saying, because it's not easy to execute this concept.
0: No. And that's what I always say, like, honestly, and we've seen this happen over the years. If you have a cash or a credit line um, and the Internet, you can you can probably find a lot of really good beers. You know what (laughs) I mean? You can try to compete with us. But when it comes to making sure that that program Uh, generates the kind of experiences that we demand for our staff and our guests every day, it takes so much more. So you mentioned line cleaning. Um, All of us have had experiences when we've gone to a a brewery, a tap room, or uh, a baseball game, or you name it, a restaurant bar, and had polluted beer, beer that does not taste right because it hasn't been taken care of by the publican, by the restaurateur or something like that. So we are uh, obsessive about cleaning lines. Uh, one of the greatest compliments we get and we've gotten and we continue to get, uh, and it's something that Michael and I are very proud of, is that brewers have come to Church Key and said, my beer tastes better here than it does at my brewery. Wow. And we have actually uh, helped many breweries get into like the cleaning regimen and just the, the draft system design to make sure that they can get their beers to taste like they do there. But to your point with Sam and, and the staff, it takes time. Cleaning okay. lines is very uh, time consuming and it's expensive. Uh, you have to pay for labor, you have to pay for caustic and acid line cleaner, things like that. But even, even beyond that, it's staff training. I mean, if you don't want to go into a pre-shift every day and get people excited about the new beers that you have on mm-hmm. nobody's going to be excited about the new beers that you have on staff guests alike. So I've walked into so many bars that have a great list on the wall, but it just doesn't, it doesn't hit right. It doesn't feel passion and passion. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the other thing. It's a day in and day out, getting your managers excited, getting your directors of operations, excited, getting your chef excited to want to do beer pairings. Um, all of that is, I mean, either, you either can do it or you can't. Right. And I think that those that can, continue to do it well.
2: Well, and I'll add one little thing on the line cleaning thing because it's something a lot of people don't don't know, but you know, uh it, it, after prohibition, prohibition, they they you know, the government stopped uh beer and brewing companies and alcohol companies from providing all kinds of inducements, you know, to to the brewer basically pay for play. But one thing that is totally legal is a distributor of alcohol can do certain services for you and one of them that they do for 99.9% of operations as they clean the lines for you. Hmm. So we're talking about how hard staffing is and labor.
1: Right.
2: The first thing, if you want to run our program, is you have to turn down the offer of free cleaning because it is woefully insufficient if you are rotating beers the way that we are, which is yeah. 25 right. to 35.
1: Okay. Like nightly, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you go through a well, the beer, then you got to clean the line.
2: We're turning over 25 or 35. We're rotating 25 to 35 taps a week. That's every one, every time a beer changes, I mean, think about if it were, were wine I and mean, you're pouring wine through a tube mm-hmm. and you're going to pour wine through the tube and then you're going to pour another wine and another wine right. like, right. nobody would do that. You know, right. nobody would accept mm-hmm. that. Right, but, but the
1: lay person has no idea. Like, you right? know, it all looks, it all looks yeah. so easy. You know, <laughs> like with I, nobody, when you say it all, of course it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Would you pour even soda? Would you pour... Right. You know a sprite through after you know diet Coke no of course <laughs>
2: right. not. Exactly. so
1: it's all the same thing, but people don't know what's required, which right. is why they think yeah. it's also easy
0: that's yeah. part of the problem of hospitality though right because mm-hmm. on the one hand there's so many different guests out there some guests do want to come in and get schooled on all this crazy stuff that's going on and then respect it laud it online hopefully you know what I mean tell their right. friends and family but A lot of people don't, and it's our job to not be too over the top about it. You know, that's the line that we're constantly trying to negotiate. You know, we talk about it with our staff every day. Some people come to Church Key because they're having a happy hour with their friends, and we have amazing wine. We have phenomenal spirits and cocktails. I mean, 150 different whiskeys. Uh, Aaron Dudley's our wine director. Nick Farrell's our spirits director. They do outstanding work. We don't want people to feel like they have to geek out on beer or even drink beer when they come in. But Nikki, to your point, and uh, we really feel this every day, it's like, we would love it if people really did know all the stuff, how late we stay up doing <laughs> right. this stuff. Right, I mean, you know, listen, <laughs> you know. I,
1: I feel like it's, uh, I mean, we could all talk about this for a long time. I mean, staffing shortages, right? So we know that staffing shortages are plaguing the hospitality industry, not just here in DC, but nationally. And I think the lay knows this, they hear it, they read it, they see it on the news, but then they go and sit down in a restaurant and they're paying full price and they're not getting the service they're used to. So you have this issue that I don't know how we, and I, I include myself in this since I'm in hospitality media, how we help explain to the customer what's happening because uh, there is a disconnect. We can all sit disconnect. here and be like, tsk, tsk, you know, staffing shortages or supply shortages and we feel bad for the restaurant industry. But if I go into a restaurant and I'm paying full price and, you know, if somebody doesn't, I, how long does that empathy or sympathy but, last? But even
0: for? beyond paying full price, I mean, people, when people are hungry, they're not in a good spot to be reasonable. And we see that all the time, like if you come into a restaurant, and, I mean, let's just say you have a family of kids with you, or whatever, right. and it's 6 p.m. on a Saturday and you see an open table and we can't sit you there. I have to be honest, I understand the frustration. You're starving, you know, and, then, and or if we sit them and then it takes a little longer, like I, I think some of this is just almost impossible. Uh, you know, it's just, there's going to be expectations. You go out to eat something. Well,
1: I think people are coming in honestly at an eight or nine already, you know, the stress is just out there and it's, and listen, I'm not even some people on the other side in the industry, like they're burnt, they've had it. Do you know what I mean? Like they can't deal with one more person. So I, there's, I don't know how to fix the problem. I don't know where all those people went, but yeah. There there are a lot of mis I feel like when the pandemic happened, there was all this conversation about changes in the hospitality industry. We have to make all these changes. And everybody kept talking about it. But because everybody was chasing their tushes to stay alive, Mm -hmm. nothing happened. So now we're here. So the question is, what what can we do?
2: It's really tough. I mean, the changes are gonna, you know, unsustainable things do not continue. So a lot of changes is gonna happen. And right now you see it, you know, in What's happening with prices? I mean, we we've really tried not to raise our prices much, uh, but I mean, we look around and it, it's incredible. It, but it's understandable. I mean, it it, it something has to give. Right. I think to your the point that you and Greg were making before about how the guest is coming in. Oftentimes, like we're all everybody is stressed. The background level of normal everyday stress has doubled just as a result of everything we've been through, and a lot of people are carrying scars from personal trauma that they went through and i think the other part of it too is you know thank god for masks right i mean a simple thing has saved so many lives
1: mm-hmm. but
2: you know if if somebody on a keyboard is like able to troll and do things because they are faceless and uh and and the other far into the extreme is actually looking at one another the way that we are even though it's on a video we actually see one another mm-hmm. the mask does do something it depersonalizes in a way it's an extra barrier, and I think it gives people a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Just leave to be, you know. Yeah, less human. You know, I mean, uh, to treat the other person as less human. And, and uh, so I think it, that has not been helpful, you know. Um, and, and and honestly, I think it's been it's one part of the trauma for restaurant people is that we're all certainly in the front of house. Everybody. We're all fundamentally. Uh, we're people pleasers. Like we love, we, we love making other people happy. It makes us feel really good. And so in a way, you know, being cut off from that and not being able to see the reactions of people, not being as close to people for a long time, I think was part of what made, made it hard, you know, uh, for, for everybody. So Uh, I think
1: that's a really good point. All right. Well, listen, just quickly. So church key, give me just like the four one one, like, where people can find it, how people can get in on it. Give us the whole thing on um, neighborhood provisions and just tell us like when Vermillion is coming, what we can look forward to.
0: Greg,
2: I'll let you get started
0: there. I knew you were going <laughs> to let me do that. Um, So yeah, so uh is in Logan Circle, uh, 14th and Rhode Island, 1337 14th Street. We <laughs> are open uh, seven days a week, opening at noon on the weekends and at 4 p.m. Uh, the rest of the week. Fantastic drinks and great food coming from our kitchen downstairs. Birch and Barley, uh, the full-service uh, restaurant dining room is coming up uh, in the next few weeks. So okay. very excited about about that. Um, Vermilion uh, in Old Town uh, on King Eleven Street. Twenty
2: King Street. Yeah, Eleven Twenty. Yeah, you King know that Street. one. Yeah. So. yeah, I know that
0: one. <laughs> uh, that's um, coming up hopefully over the next month. Okay. Um, it's going to be a, a fantastic uh, reboot refresh and a very exciting uh things I think it's going to be really really great to have it back in in old town. I don't really think there's much else like it in old town right now. Um and then
1: old town has sort of become it's like all of a sudden old town nothing's happening. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sort of a little stayed at the moment because all these yeah. new areas are popping up. Do you know well, what I mean? Uh, yeah. yeah. it, yeah. up, yeah. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and vermilion has been such a stalwart there. I'm, I'm really excited. I think Greg and I both are, we've got a great chef there, Ben Flamer. Uh, and Greg and I have been fortunate enough to be going to the tasting. So it feels like, I mean, it is a rarer restaurant than it used to be. Like, you know, a, a new American, modern American restaurant ingredient focus really you lots of seasonal touches uh and ben has a has a really nice touch so we're very excited about that
0: Great. and the really and like you said there's something like it in old town uh and and outdoor seating that we never had before on the street is uh, yeah. even better so, yeah, Great. so um, And
1: what about iron gate iron gate is open right
2: Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Iron yeah. Gate's open. Yeah, I absolutely. It open. Yeah.
1: That, I mean, it just has such amazing outdoor space. It's
2: absolutely.
0: And, and, and that's been nice, I will say. I mean, I think private events, uh, and, and big private events, weddings, et cetera, are going to save us all um, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right now because that's something that at Iron Gate hasn't seemed to deplete as much as other standard business has. I mean, let, let's be honest we kind of train people not to go out on Mondays and Tuesdays during the pandemic. Cause everybody's closed on Mondays and right. Tuesdays. Right. Um, and people stop going out to bars past 10 PM. And we're starting to see that change, but it's still very different than pre pandemic, but with um, so many uh, private events coming back, people making up on lo- for lost time on weddings, yeah. it's been uh, phenomenal. And we actually get great post-wedding business at church key. Um, which oh. has been. That fantastic makes sense. as well but um right, right.
1: Yeah. well listen i really appreciate you both joining me i will put uh how to contact you all on instagram and facebook and etc in the show notes um so thanks so much uh greg Angert, michael babin from neighborhood restaurant group thanks for joining me today well i love when i bring on old friends because we get down deep and that was a real industry night show because we really talked about the industry and what a local restaurant group is going through not only to survive but thrive so check out church key at whether you're a beer aficionado or not Um, I as many of you know I will drink beer but it's not my go-to I like my wine so um, but they do have an amazing beer program and Greg always finds me something really interesting and unique to try and I always like it because it's kind of cool to do that so challenge your taste buds check out Church Key obviously Iron Gate which is such a gem in this city and all the other neighborhood restaurant group restaurants are all worth checking out I want to thank you so much for joining me and going down this rabbit hole. Uh, I will be away for the next two weeks. I'm going to be in Israel. I'm joining the Reality Israel team. It is a media chef and food artisan focused group that explores the cuisine of Israel. So I will be taking you on that journey with me if you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's gonna be so much fun, and clearly, you can tell from my voice, I am really excited. So, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Go to thelistareyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you about every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. Also, all those openings and what's coming soon that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, Don't forget Foodie and the Beast every Sunday at 11 a.m. on 1500. Of course, the link to it is also on Foodie and the Beast. Uh, Let's see, I got your social media, at Nikki Nellis, I think you got it all. So, remember, it feels like the pandemic's over, but you still need to be safe out there. Wear a mask when asked, remember, There are staffing shortages and lots of other shortages, and prices are high. Take your kindness pills. Be kind out there. Everybody is trying the best they can given the situation that we're in. Thanks again for joining me, and have a delicious week. Industry
0: Night with Nikki Nellis. Real fun, D.C.